Amen. So get ready to receive. Amen. Well, good morning. It is great to be here just as every Sunday is great to be here. Um, we have kind of been bouncing around a couple different things throughout the uh, uh, throughout the last couple Sundays. Again, this is a graphic for our uh, our conference. If you want to um, to remember the dates for the conference, or if you'd like to share the conference um, on social media or anything like that, uh, we do have a Facebook page. If you type in um, Heartland Christian Family Church, then you'll find our page. You can like it, and you'll find this as an event on there. So if you want to kind of keep tabs on that. Um, you can just hit that you're going. It'll give you notifications and stuff like that when it gets closer to time or if you make any announcements about the conference. So uh, feel free to do that. Share it to your page if you think some other people um, would like to come and attend. Uh, everybody's welcome. It's, there's no fee to be able to attend the conference. We're, we love to be able to offer opportunities for people to grow um, with their relationship with God outside of just a regular Sunday morning service as we can. So, um, so that's going to be one way that we get to do that and then see a bunch of great familiar faces from different areas of ministry. So that's uh, Kingdom Legacy. Today, um, we're going to go through a, uh, a um, excuse me, a new, new message called Come and Eat. Come and Eat is today's message. Come and Eat. And this is, we started recently a, uh, <clears throat> started recently a new semester at the seminary, and I'm still helping out with different classes. Uh, Dr. Alan Hawkins, if you guys remember him from a few weeks back, they came and visited us. Um, in the month of June, um, he started another uh, another round of his systematic theology classes, and we were in uh, in our Zoom meeting last Monday night or last Tuesday night, and talking through just some some different things. And he's been really diving in further on uh, aspects of the Eucharist or the Lord's Tabor table Tabor the Lord's table uh, or the Lord's Supper. They call them all kinds of different things. Other people say communion. Many different ways that you can communicate what this is, but. Um, but he started talking about it a little bit, and, uh, and we were dialoguing a little bit after class, too. And he said, he said a phrase that I thought was very interesting, and so I, I kind of want to circle back around. I know I did a, uh, a message about a year ago on, uh, from Matthew, the book of Matthew, going through the Passover. That was a real fun, uh, really fun message to kind of go through. But um, I wanted to circle back around because when he said this, it really sparked some things in my mind. So I wanted to kind of pursue this a little bit today with you guys. Is that okay? <coughs> Excuse me, perfect. So he said this. I'm going to start with just telling you what he said, the thing that kind of sparked some stuff. He said, we believe that we can be healed, touched, filled, or changed from a few specific things, especially in our charismatic belief. Many people will come up and get hands laid on them um, because that is biblical. And we believe that there is a, an endowment of power that the, that the Holy Spirit releases and, and can transform somebody through healing, through deliverance, through many different aspects of that. Um, even receiving words of knowledge or words of wisdom for what the Lord wants to do in your life. Uh, we see that throughout Scripture, we believe it's biblical. So we believe that we can be healed, touched, and filled, and changed, even as we saw a prayer cloth was, was prayed over in Scripture, and that was sent over, and, and by the belief that people had that, G, that God would do that, um, they were healed. But we negate the place of heaviness on the Lord's Supper. So I'll say that again. We believe that we can be healed, touched, filled, and changed by a prayer cloth and a man laying their hands on us, but we negate to place a heaviness on the Lord's Supper, knowing that it is through the things that we can receive from him, and it is only through the things we receive from him that we can have healing, deliverance, and salvation through him. 
And so what I want to do is I want to kind of trace a little bit of, of something. There's, there's another thing he said. It's that we were, we were cursed in the, in the act of eating from the book of Genesis in disobedience. And we are now saved by the act of receiving through what Christ did and our participation in partaking of communion. It is not communion that saves us, please. Hear me out. <laughs> it is not communion that saves us, but it's in our ability to receive and respond to the call of Christ in obediently remembering what he has done by partaking of the elements together. And so this is something uh, that, that I think that we need to be doing more, not just in, in a church service, but within our own households together. This is something that, that really causes you to realign your focus, to kind of recalibrate in your thinking. A lot of what we sang this morning, um, there's just one chief end, two men's purpose, one main reason for existence. For all, all man's vain and high ambitions will all be made low. To treasure you above all others, to love you like we love no other. Greatness soon will be uncovered and all the earth will then know. For you alone will be exalted on that day. Worthless goals will be exposed as idols that we've made. That line is my favorite line out of the entire, <laughs> the entire song. For you alone will be exalted in that day. Worthless goals will be exposed as idols that we've made. For you alone will be exalted in that day. And you'll be seen as righteous king. And from our hearts we'll say that all is for your glory. All is for your name. Sometimes it's helpful just to, to look at and to read the lyrics that we sing. Because it's easy to kind of get caught up in, in a melody or a rhythm or, you know, even, even just uh, the uh, feeling like there's almost background music at times, too. If there's a lot of things weighing on your mind, it could be that, you know, you show up and then, bam, it's just music is playing, but your mind is elsewhere, going a million miles an hour in many different directions. But to, but to realign your thought process and to say, just like what we talked about with the book of Psalms and even in, in the passage from uh, Philippians chapter 4, it's rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Yeah. I will, I will come to you and, and offer thankfulness and petitions with a thankful heart. So I'll offer my prayer and petitions to you with a thankful heart. So it's the thankfulness that, that we can have in, in realizing that it is you alone that is going to be the one who transforms the things that's going on in my life and in my heart. It's you alone who can lead me into a place of, of coming through whatever things are happening in my life. By putting my trust in you, and that doesn't mean that I'm going to sit back and not do anything. It means I can participate with your requests and your commands for us. What is your word saying? What is what is Scripture revealing to me? And, and how am I listening to your conviction while I'm walking through my days? Recently, we had a, uh, a, a filmed a podcast episode with my buddy. We have a podcast online, and we had the uh, the author of the Passion Translation on with us. And uh, he was talking about this new 365-day um, devotional that he is coming out with next month uh, over the book of John. And he said the, the, the one thing that we need to consistently be brought back to is, is our first love. But not in a point of, of being berated over the head about returning to your first love. Because usually when you hear someone say, you just need to return to your first love. You're just, it feels more like my actions need to be corrected and now I need to just fix my actions, and now it's just dutiful, and it's not out of adoration. But in reality, when John is, is speaking much about coming back to your first love, it's coming back to the recognition that from John three sixteen, God so loved the world. It didn't say you were just so smart and wise that you decided that you were going to go ahead and give your life to Jesus. Then he forgave your sins. It's 
for God so loved the world. It's, it's that God first loved us. And so we need to be able to receive God's love to reciprocate adoration to him. Otherwise, if we're not receptive to his love, then it's going to be very easy for us to then um, stiff arm him and stiff arm the, the, even the feeling of wanting to give him love or compassion. Not compassion, love or adoration, that's the word. He was compassionate on us, and he had mercy for us, and he was gracious enough to offer us a way so that we can have salvation. And so our first duty is to just receive. Our first responsibility to do that. But in order to receive, we have to be humbled. And sometimes that humbling happens from circumstance. It's an external type of humbling that occurs. Other times, it's something that you do yourself in realizing that I know that I need to take myself from right here, and I need to bring myself low so that I can adequately see who he is. Because right now, I'm a God in my own eyes. And realizing that I'm ill-equipped to be a God. And so therefore, I need to have someone who is my Savior. The standard that, that I've tried to create for my own life is not reining in all the things and the chaos that could be around me. I can try to control and manipulate things as to the best of my abilities, but it's only going to get to the point to where it wears me out, and then it causes other people to not want to be around me either, because now I'm a controlling person. So what do I need to do to realize that I am not who I thought I was? And this is going back to the first love. Realize that it's a, it's a great honor that God loves us. And now I can reciprocate his love by loving him back. And that love is expressed in various ways. Most of all, it's expressed through obedience. And obedience comes from hearing. You cannot obey if you, if you have not heard. Your kids won't know how to obey you if you don't express yourself and let them know your expectations and your standards for them. They can't receive correction if they're not given correction. And so to think that God doesn't speak today is, is kind of asinine to me because how else would we know what we're supposed to do? We're reading through ancient text. The Bible wasn't written yesterday. There are thousands and thousands of years separating us from the people who penned, put pen to paper. And so how, how can we best understand what the intention of God's heart is if we don't do our due diligence in one studying to know and then also listening and meditating? That's an aspect of, of, our, of our belief that we need to get, get better at a lot of times. We get caught on two sides, and I've talked about this before, but I'll, br I'll briefly run over this real quick. The side of, I'm just going to read a real quick verse, real fast, because it's up on the Bible app, and then I'm gone. And the other side of, I'm just going to read chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters, and I'm going to close it, but have no kind of recollection of what I just did. There's importance in knowing context of what's happening in Scripture. I think it's, it's actually very helpful, and it, it really illuminates the meaning of what's happening in in the text, because in the Old Testament, there are lots of different names, lots of different people, lots of different time frames that are going through. And so understanding why they were dealing with the things that they were dealing with really brings you clarity as far as what struggles they were really going through and why they made certain decisions. But also taking the time to meditate 
on those stories, this reason why Jesus spoke in parables many times, to cause you to sit and to meditate on what it was that he was saying. Because if you just heard it on, on the first take and that's all you did, you could have gotten something from it, but there are deeper things that he was communicating as well in the middle of it. The disciples would ask him all the time, what did you mean by this? What? I don't understand. And he would have to consistently go through and, and give them deeper understanding and, and challenge them. So you need to meditate. You need to think deeper. You need to think right in the, in the midst of that. And so it's, it's valuable for us to be able to go through and to take care of this. And so in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, we'll read from verse 26 to 31. He says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. I love this. One of the things that he says there is that you are to fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it. In my master's work, um, I wrote my master's thesis over worship, and one of the interesting things about this passage is that um, is that there's a reflection of, of, the, of the Hebrew words that are used here with the responsibilities of the priests at the temple. It's to serve and to protect, or to serve and to guard, to guard and to yield. And so the same command that God gave Adam and Eve is the same command that he gave the priests to serve and to work serve, to work, and to guard. The responsibility that they had was to, was to guard the place that the Lord had entrusted them with. So the garden was a place that God entrusted Adam and Eve to be with and to serve and to protect, to guard, to keep from anything that could be foul or tried to infiltrate, which then becomes very interesting in our next chapter when we when we read through this in a second. And there's a lot of interesting parallels that we could see even further out as we are called priests and our bodies are communicated as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so if you look throughout, it, there are many scholars that believe that Eden was the very first temple that was established on earth. That it was actually the first place where heaven and earth would, would meet and this is where God would come and you see in scripture where God would walk with Adam and Eve in the, in the cool of the day that his presence would be with them, and they had a great relationship from there. 
the temple served as a place of heaven and earth connectedness where the presence of God, the manifest presence of God rested in the Holy of Holies. And now, as believers, since Jesus came, died on the cross, rose from the grave, and sent his Holy Spirit to dwell where? In us. So his presence, his presence is with us. It is in us, in our bodies, considered the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we are charged with the same mandate to guard and to protect. To guard and protect the place that God's presence rests. And that doesn't just mean within your own bodies, but you also see in Scripture where the body of Christ gathered together is the temple. It's beautiful imagery. It's not so individualistic that, that you are to only go out and to do things just on your own. We're actually called and mandated to come together and to be a body. To operate as one. We are the bride of Christ. We're not brides, plural, of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And so if that's the case, then we are all called to serve and to protect. This is why it's important for us to keep each other accountable, to bring up conviction when things happen, and to make sure that we have conversations and walk through things, that whenever there's conflict and friction, that these things are met, and that we we're able to actually let out and flesh out the things that go on. Because if not, division will continue to happen, and it'll sift people out, and it'll cause much more strife in, in, in the body that should actually be unified. And so we see... Um, in Genesis 2, verses 4 through 9, he says this, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the, heaven, uh, made the earth and the heavens, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is, this is important to note too. God specifically gave this command to Adam before he had companionship. So this also transcends the fact that you have to be married in order to have this understanding of what is right and wrong. There's some people who believe that, you, that they have to, have to, have to be married. That it is like, like they're missing God's call in their life if they're not. There's a, there's a blessing in singleness that the Lord has. And the good thing that we see is that the Lord saw that man should not be alone, and so he fashioned a helper there. There are many people who could be helpers also, not just to pinpoint that you only have a helper when you have a mate. So you have the body of Christ who's around you and who can help. And he sent the Holy Spirit to continue in that helper. 
I will continue there. I'm not going to stay there. That's a different message. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman, and from the rib he had taken out of the man, he brought her to the man. Then he said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they became one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. No shame. And then I, I won't continue to go further and further because I'd like to get a little, a little more, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of summarize a couple pieces of, sec- of section of Scripture real quick for us here. In the next chapter, we see in, ex- in uh, Genesis chapter 3, we see that, uh, that the serpent, this is very interesting, I've mentioned this before, but I think it's very important to note too that uh, Dr. Michael Heiser brings up the fact that uh, the Hebrew doesn't have vowels until about the, oh, I don't want to say this incorrectly, about the 8th century, I believe it was what it is, where they actually had scribes writing down um, uh, and inserting vowels into the text, and so that gave a little further meaning to certain things. But the way that Hebrew works is there's so many homonyms. And that's really fancy words for just saying that there could be many meanings to the same word, like deer. Deer, 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 deer. Deer could be an animal. It could be your uh, loved one. Um, you can continue to go on with many different things like that. And so um, there's lots of different words that could mean various things. And so the word for serpent there also could mean a diviner, one who speaks and communicates between the spiritual world and the natural world. And one who could also be noted as being cunning, so that whenever Eve was talking to this this serpent-type figure, um, it could also have just been a, an angelic being that was leading her astray from that. It's very interesting to, to look at it from that perspective, because you've all, I don't know if anybody else has had the question of, how does a serpent speak? Did it have legs beforehand? Now it's on its belly. That's very interesting. I'm not 100% sure about how that worked. Um, but now, you know, it's going to have to not talk and then crawl on the ground. That's very interesting. Um, did it look like a lizard? How come lizards weren't the ones who are also inflicted with this? Like, there's all kinds of questions that come from anybody else like that, or is it just me? Okay, yeah, there's these thoughts that you have. Wonderful. So there is, uh, there's some really interesting things that you can do whenever you start pulling from Scripture and, and looking at the, uh, at the original language. And so this, this divining being, this, div- this being that could seem like it was, it was someone who would be full of wisdom or be able to communicate back and forth, told Eve and questioned her, challenged her, hey, didn't, didn't God say? Wasn't it God who said that you couldn't do this? And, and she added a little extra. Well, it wasn't that he just said not to eat of it. She even said, he, we're not supposed to touch it. God never said anything about not touching the fruit. He just said, don't eat of it. And then the continuous questioning and, and pulling away caused her to then deviate from the, from the words of God. And I believe Adam was right there too, so he was, a, he was an interesting guy to not speak up or say anything that the Lord specifically, directly spoke to him about. Not bringing up the conviction or bringing up the correct verb, verbalization of God's word. And so in that, they listened to a different voice, and that different voice led them into disobedience. And it was the act of disobedience of eating of the fruit that caused them to walk into sin. Which is why I find it so interesting and intriguing that this was the method that God was setting them up 
from this point all the way through until Christ came. He was giving them breadcrumbs of what he was getting ready to do. When you look at the Passover, what happened in Exodus, God told them that they were supposed to take a lamb, take a sheep, or it could have even been a goat. They took it, and they were supposed to kill it. They were supposed to cook it and take some of the blood and wipe it over the doorpost to cover so that the firstborn of their family would not be killed and they could be delivered from that point from Egypt out into the wilderness to go and worship. Again, something that's important for them to, for us to note is that God did not tell them that, hey, I'm going to bring you from Egypt into the promised land. That wasn't the original direction, was it? He said, no, I want you to go into the wilderness so that you can worship me. The whole process of us being delivered from whatever it is that's going on is for us to worship. It's not for us to go into our idea of what a, a paradise life should look like. So again, receiving his love moves us into adoration for him. And then from that point, in our humility, he can bring us into what he has planned for us and what he's promised. Every single thing that we have to do in our life it has, to, it has to circle around, am I giving God glory in the midst of this and am I hearing him correctly so that I can walk out in obedience? It's not my success is going to be driven by the monetary things that I have or the physical material things that I have and that'll be a sign of God blessing my life. Because let me tell you what, Job seemed like he was not very blessed at all. Even though he was walking in obedience and maintained his faith in God in the midst of his trials. And so it's not the outcome of monetary or materialistic things that gives you the A-OK that you're doing the right thing. It's can you continue to worship in the midst of anything that happens in your life? If you can do that, then that means that you will remain humble and you will remain low in your eyes to where you are not the one that has to be controller of all things. Realizing I'm going to give you my trust, God. I'm going to give you my faith. I'm going to put everything that I have into honoring you regardless of if it looks like it's panning out right now or not. I can't be so, so attentive to all the voices around me that I lose your voice. And so, from the point of Adam and Eve taking a bite of the fruit and their eyes opening up and being aware of their nakedness and feeling shame to the point where they ran away and hid themselves from God, we see that in the Passover, they had, they had a meal. In thanking the Lord, for his ability to save them, not just save them, but to save their family and the continuation of their lineage through their firstborn, because their firstborn was very important in those days. So to maintain their lineage, and then also so that they can go into worship the Lord. And they would celebrate this every single year. They would go through the process of celebrating the Passover meal, giving God, thankful, uh, giving God their thanks and their praise for what he did in delivering them from Egypt. And then you see when Jesus comes onto the scene during the Passover meal, the last supper that he has with the disciples, he breaks bread and he said, this is my body that's to be broken. You are to, part to partake of this in remembrance of me. This is, my this, this is the wine, but this is my blood that will, that will be shed for you. Partake of this and do this in remembrance of me. It's the understanding that this is more than just an activity that we do. But this causes us to remember that he came and that he died for my sins. He loved me so much that he would sacrifice himself, willingly going to the cross. 
and that through his body, through the brokenness of his body, we can also receive healing. Through the blood that was shed, we could be cleansed from all wickedness and sin. And it's in the receiving and the partaking of these elements is, is the remembrance that we put our faith in Jesus. And it's in that that, we, that that's where, that's where the, I, I believe, the, the amazing opportunity of taking of, of the elements and, and going through this is so powerful is because it's not just that, you know, I, I look at this bread and this is now, because there's, there's many different, there's three different specific belief systems about, the com- about communion. One is that it completely transforms into God, into Jesus' body, like present body, and you're eating his flesh and you're drinking his blood. Um, and then there's another one to where it's like it's the, the presence of God just is all around in the midst of that. And the other one is just a memorial. I'm kind of in the middle where it's like, hey, I partake and I believe that God's presence is, is so thick around partaking of this because it is so valuable. And this is not just a random act that we're doing. And, and the, the ability for us to, to put our faith and our hope and our trust and, and understanding is a powerful moment for us because it elevates our understanding of who he is and what his involvement is in our life. And that's where it comes from, the connection with God. It's not, I mean, you could partake of this with, a, with I don't know, with a sandwich and with Gatorade. I mean, I don't know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's in the process of saying, I'm going to honor you so much that this is a process that I'm putting my faith and my hope and trust in you. And I'm going to give you thanks and praise in the middle of this. That it was in the eating and disobedience that, that we were cursed. And now it's in the remembrance that we have that we can continue to remember the salvation that he has so wonderfully gave, given us. And so this is his invitation consistently for us to come and eat. Return to your first love. John's words. It is, it is so important for us to return to our first love. Not that you have to be driven into works, that that's the thing that saves you, that I have to just be good enough, or that I have to, I have to be able to do X, Y, and Z in order to then have your favor in my life. I have to, I have to be able to to excel for a certain amount of time, and then finally you'll smile upon me and you won't be disappointed in me that I've let you down time and time and time again, and so I just have to have, you know, quite a bit of distance of time in order for me to even feel comfortable with coming to you and to, and to, to asking you to forgive me and to deal with these things. It's none of those things because that's a work-based faith. Paul tells us it is not by, 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 uh, by works that we receive salvation. So that anybody can boast, because then you can boast about being how good you are. I'm so good that Jesus did this. That was not the way it works. That's not the process. Praise the Lord, because if that was the case, none of us would be here. But it's returning to our first love, knowing that is because he loved me so much, even in the crap that I was doing, in the junk that I was a part of, in all of the, the, the hustle and bustle and all the disappointments and everything like that, he still loved me to the point where he's like, I died for you. Still yet, knowing, knowing who you were going to be and the things you were going to encounter and the, the things that people would do to you and the disappointments you would have and, the, and all of the things that you would encounter, he still loved you enough to say, I'm still dying. I will still go and do that. And so we can adequately receive his love, first and foremost, because you cannot rightly show God's love to other people if you have not yet received it. Because then you're doing it out of your own heart. And if you're doing it out of your own heart, then it's your own ambition, which means that you're just wanting to be seen as someone who is loving so that you can be glorified. 
there are many good people, quote-unquote good people in the world, that they, they abide by the standards of society, and they, you know, are good citizens, and they do all these things, and you're like, man, that's, a, that's just a good person. You can identify them. That's great. But that is, that is the extent of praise that's given, is only their goodness of that moment. But I can guarantee this, that they're not perfect. And so that there have been people who have been disappointed in things that they've done, words they've said, actions they've taken a part of. And so even though your perspective or and perception could be that they're a good person, it doesn't mean that they've adequately received true love. To truly love is to be loved first. God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save it. And so if that's the case, then we need to be attentive of what he's communicating to us in Scripture. From the very first time, he offered us things that were good, gave us a standard. That standard was missed by listening to another voice, trying to reinterpret the standard and redefine it from what it originally was. We have a lot of this going on right now in today's society. People are trying to redefine what it means what it truly means to be an imager of God. We read it right there in the, in the beginning. In the image of God, he created them. Again, that doesn't mean that we are gods, but it means that we are, we are wonderful reflections. And he has tasked us with, with the opportunity of also working and taking care of the things that he created. And so we have the ability to co-labor with God. And in this activity, it's a privilege to be able to say, I can go and I don't have to be called to stand at a pulpit and talk to people in order to do what God wants me to do. Actually, we're supposed to go out into the world to help to, to, to guard and protect and to, and to subdue it and to, to craft things. That's why the beauty of, of, of our hands moving in nature and even helping. And like uh, I talked to you guys a, a few weeks ago about going to a bird sanctuary. I mean, that's incredible that, that people have the capacity to be able to build and to construct things that would help save nature in different aspects and rehabilitate nature and then send it back out to its original purpose. That's incredible that we have the capabilities and the capacities to learn and to develop things, to write things down and to pass it down from one generation to another so that hopefully the next generation can take what we've learned and use that, that ceiling that we have as, 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 a, as a floor and then to be able to, pr uh, to continue and to move and to go and to grow. But if we become the kings of our own castles and put ourselves at the top of the pedestal and feel like we're God, then we will consistently push everybody else down that we should be actually rising above what we've been able to do. And then you start to deflate and you start to stunt the growth and development of, of people, of community, of families, of countries, nations, all these things. Just because you want it to be at the top and to be known as the greatest. When in actuality, when all things are said and done, we turn them to dust. Yep. We serve an unending God. All-powerful, almighty, all-sufficient, wonderful, beautiful, righteous, and holy. And so I want to end with, with this passage here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Verse 17, he says this. 
In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have, uh, there have, have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. He's shown the severity and the importance of whenever we partake of this together and we gather together, we are not splitting in factions and, and making it to where we're hoarding things for ourselves. Seeing that there are people in need and people in want, but also in the, in the fact of saying that when we come together and we partake of this, these people were taking of it so lightly that they were not even confessing of their sins, knowing that whenever they look and they partake of the body and the blood of Christ, they remember that Jesus died for their sins, but yet they were not repentant of their sins. That he came to heal, but yet they, they were not looking to the, to the body for his healing. They were diminishing the, the act of, of Jesus and what he did on the cross. And so he's like, hey, some of you guys are just reaping the consequence of the curse that happened in Genesis chapter 3. And he said in Genesis chapter 2 that if you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. By partaking of the elements while remaining in their sin, they were stating that they were above the price that Christ made and that they could get away with anything because they were more adequately equipped to deal with sin than what Christ had done. Because if we truly were doing this in remembrance of Christ, then we would remember the things that he did for us and our, our need for him. And this is why it's important and imperative for us to even do this more often. Because as we partake of the elements, we are reminded that we are to confess of our sins 
We're supposed to remain unified. And we're supposed to return to our first love. John's going to come up and as we close out. But I want us to keep this in our, in our mind. As we go throughout our days, are we, are we so distant from what we believe God did, to, did, did for us that we have forgotten in our day-to-day process of what it means to give God adoration? Are we so busy-minded that we lose sight of why we're actually doing what we're doing? It is in the remembrance that we can see that he is adequate, well fit, and well worthy of our adoration. And that without him, I would merely just live and die. Anything that I could gain here, any kind of accolades, anything like that, will pass away as I pass. However, he continues on, and in his promise, we get to spend eternity with him as well, which is a beautiful, beautiful promise. And so as we gather, as we partake, as we worship, these should be things that bring us back to the knowledge of God's faithfulness and his goodness, his love, his compassion, his grace and his mercy, his justice and his peace. My God will supply all my needs. I know what it's like to have much. I know what it's like to have not a lot at all. But I know that in the end, that God still provides. He takes care. Those wounds from those previous relationships, those past encounters, don't have to stay wounds. But they could be healed. We have to be willing to let him take that and to work it out with him. Sometimes things will happen immediately. You're like, wow, that was a crazy transformation. Like all at once, I just, that was overwhelming and it just flooded me, it feels like. My goodness. Like I just went through like a detox or something. I was like, bam, it happened. And other times it's a slow and steady progression. Because there's sometimes that we need an immediate deliverance from those things. And at other times we need to be able to go through meticulously as he's able to take those little pieces of that infection and start to remove it. He could start to sew it up in the ways that needs to happen. And go through the rehabilitation process of learning how to go through life again. And deal with people in those ways. But that will never happen if we don't put our faith in him. If we don't trust him with those areas of woundedness. If we don't trust him with those areas of vulnerability. Then we will never receive the healing that we so desire. By holding on to those things, we communicate that we feel like we can more adequately deal with them. Than if we let God start to deal with those things. You can carry that to your grave. There's many people who have done it time and time again. However, if you can find in your heart the desire for God's complete love to 
engulf you to the point where he touches those those hard to reach places those walls that have been put up you give him access all he needs is he stands at the doors and knocks all you need to do is open that door he'll come in he'll deal with all the things that need to happen he'll illuminate and shine light on certain stuff and at times that'll make you extremely uncomfortable and make it make it sometimes ir- irritable but that's only him bringing those things up to the top so that they can be scraped away and so that he can refine you in those moments So I challenge you throughout the week, throughout this month, make it a point to partake of the elements. Go back and read Jesus' words when he says those things. Even read this passage, 1 Corinthians, and remind yourself, Lord, search my heart. Like what David said, search my heart. Know me so that he can uproot and, and pull out those things that have been needing to be dealt with. So let's stand this morning. We were called to be whole as believers. We were called into wholeness. The word salvation comes from the word sozo. The word sozo is a three-part meaning. It's, it's salvation, it's healing, and it's deliverance. Those three aspects. So we, we're not just saved. Salvation doesn't just come with just knowing that I gave my life to Jesus and that's all. I'm limited in not having healing or being delivered from things. But deliverance is actually for believers, believe it or not. It's not for non-believers, and then when you become a believer, you're good to go. Now, the enemy still tries to derail you and to detract you and to, and to pick on those things that have happened in the past. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that we have the authority in Jesus Christ's name to eradicate any kind of warring spirit that tries to come against you to derail you from actually serving and giving God your complete adoration. That's a promise in the scripture. We actually can also receive healing in his name because he is the one who died and took stripes for our healing. His body was broken so that our bodies can be healed and restored. As he went to the grave, as beaten, bloodied, bruised, dead, he rose victoriously, meaning that he has the complete authority and power over death, hell, and all the things that come with it. Beautiful thing. And so if anybody in here is, is sick in body, I, I would just, we just love to pray with you right now. If anybody needs a healing in your body, would you raise your hand? If you are around somebody with their hands up, could you lay a hand on that person? Come on, if you don't have your hands up, if you could lay your hand on somebody that's close by. We'll make sure that somebody has a hand on them. on the sick and they will recover. So Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you just touch each and every person with a hand up, that you touch them in body, that you use any kind of area that needs healing, Lord, for whether if it's in the nervous system, if it's in a bone, if it's in a tendon, if it's in a ligament, if it's in an organ, Lord, that those things that are not 
as they should be would be made whole in Jesus' name. Cancer go in Jesus' name. Arthritis go in Jesus' name. You have no authority in the bodies of these believers. So we take authority right now in Jesus' name as the body of Christ, believing right now that you can heal them. Every ailment, every sickness, every disease, infirmity, you have to go in Jesus' name. You have no place and no right. And so we thank you, God, for what you've done and what you're doing. Thank you that we get to participate. That we can participate in this process of, of seeing people restored. So we give you all the glory, all the praise, because you're worthy of it. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. I bless you all to go in Jesus' name. If you need prayer, you like some specific prayer, we'll be up here to, uh, to pray with you, pray for you. We love you, we love you, we love you. We don't see you Wednesday. We'll see you Sunday. Have a wonderful time. Go eat with somebody. Greet somebody if you haven't seen them before either. Make them feel welcome today.